0: Before I move into the next part of the service, I felt like I wanted to say, um, when I, I hear songs like this, I used to think of songs like this, like God chasing the one and leaving the 99 and, and coming after me and kicking down walls. I used to hear those things and I would think like that was about before, like before I started to follow Jesus, that was like the narrative of the salvation story. But I just feel like I just want to be really honest this morning and tell you guys that, like, that happened to me this morning. Like, I have spent the last couple of days in just, like, this pit of just heavy stuff in life and and even at times despair. And he chases me this morning. He chases me. He says, no, I'm not going to let you stay there. I'm not going to let you... Just wallow in that place, I, my love is here i'm i 'm pursuing you continually, perpetually, in every moment, in every mood and every circumstance of life it 's not just something that happened a long time ago it 's something that 's happening to us continually and perpetually. His love is is reckless, and he will stop at nothing to maintain that connection so i 'm thankful for that this morning. I'm thankful for that. My Zen back, so I can, I can speak. But gosh, oh, worship is is such it's such an honor and a privilege um, to worship with you guys every Sunday. Like there's just that's the highlight of my week. It really is to be here with you, and for us to experience God's presence together. So thank you for showing up. It means a lot to a pastor when people show up. So, okay. Growing up, even though my relationship with Jesus had tons of ups and downs, ups and downs, it was a pretty volatile situation for quite a few years. Um, but church was pretty much a constant. Like we always went to church somewhere. The somewhere changed a lot. It changed a lot because uh, we moved a lot when I was a kid. It's it's more than ten times. I think I think somewhere around thirteen. Between the ages of like four and by the time I graduated high school, I think I, think I counted and it was 13 times. Um, so we'd find ourselves in a new situation uh, quite a bit. But going to a variety of different churches was a, a good experience. That was a neat experience for me. Because uh, I'm not just saying like we didn't just go to the next town and, and go find that denomination that we'd been in. Like I've been to dozens of different denominations. Um, over the course of my life. And so I was exposed to a lot of different styles and a lot of different practices and theology and doctrine. And I'm really thankful for that. I don't think that a lot of people get to really see firsthand and experience like the richness that is the diversity of the body of Christ. And so I consider that you know, a, a blessing in my life that I was able to experience uh, so many different church contexts. But one of the things that I noticed during the years of kind of like the tour of churches is that um, uh, typically, okay, I speak sometimes in generality, so we use the word typically because that means that there can be an outlier here or there. This is, this is a generalization, but typically um, each flavor of church was likely to have one of two ways of looking at the concept of suffering, the hard things in life, you know, sickness and struggles and pain, you know, suffering, typically one of two ways of looking at that. One side of the spectrum um, was kind of of the opinion that suffering is like the default setting for life. This world is broken. There's nothing we can do about that. Everything is going to kind of be hard until Jesus comes and sweeps us up and takes us away to fluffy clouds and heaven someday. You know, someday everything was going to be better. And all of those miracles that Jesus did, those were just like a teaser, like a movie trailer of, like, someday what was going to happen when he came and set everything right, okay? And then... um, other churches rejected the notion that a Christian should have to endure any suffering whatsoever. Like, if you had enough faith, then anything painful could be prayed away. And if you weren't getting better, richer, happier, everything wasn't getting better in your life, if you, if you weren't getting healed you know, then something was probably defective or deficient about your willpower or your faith or, you know, some combination of the two. So, again, these are oversimplifications, but basically, I ran into one f- side of the philosophy or the other, one side of the spectrum or the other. Either or. And neither framework was entirely satisfying. Like, I had questions, Um but those were the options, right? So even though sometimes I was frustrated with the limitations of both of those sides of the spectrum, I just tried to go with the flow of you know, whatever camp I happened to be in and, and whoever I happened to be hanging out with. So that was, that was reality for a lot of years, until we found the vineyard. When we came to the vineyard nearly 20 years ago, that was the first time that I heard the concept of kingdom theology, Kingdom theology. The theology and practice of the kingdom of God is one of the main distinctives of the Vineyard Church. It's it's really an important part of who we are and what our DNA is. And when I talk about this, I always do so with the caveat that, like, this is a vast subject. I could preach for the next 15 years every single Sunday on kingdom theology, and I would not exhaust the topic. Books and books and books by people that are way smarter than me. Have been written about this subject, but it's it's an amazing framework. It really is. I just want to focus in on one of the, the kind of basics, one of the central, central concepts that are included in Kingdom theology today. And that's the concept of it's not either or, it's both and practically everything in life is both and. And we're going to unpack a little bit what that means. Does God heal sickness today? Yes. Yes, he does. Do our prayers for the sick go unanswered? Some of mine do. Yes. The answer is yes. It's not either or. It's both and. Are we completely transformed made into new creations the second that we decide to follow Jesus? Yes, absolutely we are. The Bible's very clear about that. If anyone is in in Christ, he's a new creation. But will we contend with sin and its effects in our life for the rest of our life? Absolutely we will. It's not either or. It's both and. Is the Bible an absolutely vital framework for understanding who God is and what it is he expects of us? Is the Bible important? I would hope that we would all answer yes. But is a lived experience of the Holy Spirit something essential to our walk with Christ? Again, the answer is yes. It's not one thing or the other. It's not either or. It's both and. Do we have access to the supernatural resources of God so that we can make this world look more like what he wants it to look like? Yes, we absolutely do. But do the forces of darkness and evil still fight with every resource at their disposal to prevent that from happening and, in fact, inflict the opposite on us? Absolutely they do. The answer is yes, it's not either or. It's both and. Because kingdom theology says that the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here, but it is not yet here in its fullness as it will be one day when Jesus returns to make everything new. And when Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, he frequently referred to the now and not yet nature of it. It's all throughout the gospels. If you look for the language, he used language like it's not far off it has arrived it's coming it has come here's just a few examples of that from the gospels a few quick ones matthew 10:7 says as you go proclaim this message the kingdom of god has come near it's not quite here but it's close it's near luke 11:20 but if i drive out demons by the finger of god then the kingdom of god kingdom of god has come upon you it's upon us. It's right here. Or sometimes both in, in one sentence, like John four twenty three. a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. It's here, and it's not yet here in its fullness. So why does this matter? Why is this so important? And, and what is it about this that attracted me so much to this particular theological framework that we have in the vineyard? It's because with this understanding, we have practical tools and theological framework to be able to minister to one another, both in triumph and in suffering. It's not either or, it's both and. And. And I just wanted to say before we went on too much further that that's one of the reasons that I think we've kind of as a church evolved over the last couple of years as to how we acknowledge Mother's Day. Like our theology and practice of the kingdom of God um, informs everything that we do here. And Mother's Day is a wonderful idea. Mother's Day is an important occasion. It's important that we make space to celebrate all of the wonderful women who gave us life and and you know the the realities of being a mother and the sacrifices and the, the time and all of the we want if you're here today and you are a mother, we want to honor you. We we think you're amazing. We're so thankful for your the gifts that you are to your families and to this church. It's a privilege to know you and may we continue, all of us Whatever our context is, may we continue to lift these ladies up in prayer. Because whatever stage of life a mother is in, she needs prayer. And so we just want to say thank you for everything that you've done. We love you and we're glad you're here this morning. But then at the very same time, at the very same time, in the spirit of the both and, and the already and the not yet, We understand and recognize that not everyone has the same experience of mothering and motherhood. For some, Mother's Day is incredibly painful. And for some of you here today, there's a tender wound that's there for a variety of reasons. And so if you're here today and you can identify with that, then we want you to know that we We see you, and you are important to us as well. We love you, and we want you to know that we're willing to sit with you in your pain and make space for that. We want to be sensitive to your reality. We want to be faithful to the Apostle Paul's very perceptive advice in Romans 12 when he said to rejoice with those that rejoice and to mourn with those that mourn. That's both-and thinking. That's both-and language. It's not either-or. It's both-and. And this concept has a really important place in our discussion as we continue in our sermon series about hard conversations. We've been talking the past couple of weeks about how we can engage with the tough cultural topics of our day And most especially with people that are different than us, that think differently than we do, that have different perspectives than we do. Most importantly with them, we want to be able to engage with these issues in a way that is honoring to Jesus. And we're working through a set of five affirmations that serve as a framework that's going to help us in this effort. And so we started two weeks ago with affirmation number one, which is that God has all truth but we don't have a perfect understanding of it. And last week, Bob did a beautiful job. He explored the the topic of unity and affirmation number two, which is that the spirit can create unity where it once seemed impossible. And today we are well on our way to understanding affirmation number three, which is that we choose to accept that we live in the already and the not yet. Yet. So can you see how indispensable this understanding of this concept is to this topic? The ways that we engage in the toughest of topics when it comes to the way that we interact with people who think differently than we do. Our culture, and I think certainly church culture, I have felt this is is always, there's always this pulling, this pulling back into that black and white This or that cut and dried either or thinking there's always like there's like this force field that's pulling us into that way of relating to others and relating to the world. Because we like, oh, gosh, maybe it's just me, but I like my little boxes. I like order and neatness and understanding of everything. I don't like the tension. I don't like the messiness of having to manage that because it's hard. I wish that, like, the Bible was wrote in checklists. That would be awesome. That's just how I'm wired. But so I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable being pulled in that direction. I let myself be pulled in that direction if I'm not careful. Because for another reason, you know what? You know why? Because I think I'm right. I'm sure of it. I'm sure I am right. And either I'm right... Or you're right. We can't both be right, can we? doesn't work that way, so you must be wrong. And I, the subjects that I'm most likely to feel that way about are the things that I'm the most passionate about. Because those are the things that I've given the most thought to. And so it's a little bit easier for me to hold loosely to an opinion that's just kind of off the cuff, but the things that are deep in my heart that I care about so deeply. Those are the things that I'm most likely to struggle with managing this tension about. So for instance, you know, I know when we started, I told you guys, like, we weren't, we weren't going to talk about specifics like cuz you get in trouble with a series like this when you get like too deep into the details but this is something that I'm like really passionate about so I thought it, it's important and it's worth like I'm going to I'm going to put myself out there and you're going to know how I feel about something that's really important pineapple does not belong on pizza okay pineapple is a fruit it is a fruit. It tastes sweet. So maybe, maybe a dessert pizza, which, you know, we could have a whole separate, you know, sidebar about whether or not dessert pizza really qualifies as pizza. But no pineapple. No. Salty, savory. Your fruits don't belong on a pizza. Your vegetables. Your salty things. Your, your veggies. Your meat. That's what belongs on pizza. No. Who likes pineapple on, Like, I hear there's like dissenters in the audience. Who likes pineapple on your pizza? That is so gross. That is so gross. You guys, that's, it's just wrong. You're just flat out wrong. Like, you have to sit in the balcony for the rest of the month. Like, you're in timeout. Oh, 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 pineapple on pizza. I can't believe it. What's wrong with you people? You know, that's funny. That's funny, and we laugh. We laugh, but this is really sad. Like, I have seen. Facebook posts where people are talking about this topic and, like, you don't get too far down before they're, like, tearing each other to shreds. It just devolves into this, like, you don't even deserve to be a human being. It's horrible. And the whole internet is like that, about the silliest things. So, how can we have any hope that we'll be able to talk about the things that really matter, you know, if we get so wound up about food preferences and things like that? I don't know. But I think we can do this. I really do. And accepting that we live in the already and the not yet can help. It can help. Because we choose to accept that we live in the already and the not yet, we can maintain a posture of both passion and patience. Should we fight for the things that we believe in in this world, the things that are important to us? Absolutely, we should. Absolutely. God made us to do that. That's part of our job here on earth. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. We were made, we were designed to push back against the forces of evil and darkness in this world. Our partnership with God, like Vince talked about, that we learn about in Sockham, our partnership with God is the primary way that God breaks into this broken world and transforms it. It's through our partnership with him. But recognizing at the very same time as that is true, we are waiting for the day that will come when Jesus will come and he will make everything right and he will mend everything and that enables us to be patient when we don't see everything fixed right now. Right now. It offers us some insulation from the despair that can creep in because the problem just seems so enormous. But we can hope for that day that is coming. So we work while we wait. We do as much as we can, as well as we can, for as long as we can. And we trust in the ultimate plan of God to renew this entire creation both passion and patience. Because we choose to accept that we live in the already and not yet, we are able to operate with both confidence and humility. So this gets a little bit less philosophical and a little bit more personal. And I think it's funny when I was thinking about this, I think that for the most part again, in speaking in those generalities, I think that we sometimes um, have a tendency to struggle with one side of this or the other. Um, I know in my case, I am oh, I am gosh, darn reserved when it comes to putting my two cents in, right? I hate conflict. I hate debate. I hate arguing. I hate it. With every fiber of my being, it makes me feel all yucky inside, and I hate it. And so if I think that there is a slight possibility that a conversation might go south, you know, I'm sure going to have the tendency to keep my mouth shut and to not speak out what is in my heart, And sometimes that's helpful. But what am I doing? What am I doing if that's my go to, if that's my default all the time? I'm not allowing the other person to know me, not really. I'm not being honest. I'm not being honest. So I've been working on that the last couple of years. Trying to speak with confidence when I feel like there, I have a conviction to do so. And for me, it's easiest to do that like, on behalf of, of others. And so a lot of the ways that I've grown in that have come through you know, my experience with the people that we serve in the mission. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, the mission is uh, a nonprofit that's operating in our basement. It started out as a, uh, an outreach of this church, but it serves the homeless and those experiencing poverty here in the city of Rolla. And so, I've had an opportunity over the course of the last few years to be in meetings and conversations with professionals and, you know, government officials and all kinds of different, you know, helping helping agencies and just all kinds of spaces and with church groups and civic groups and all those, all those kinds of groups, you know, invite you to talk about what you see at the mission. And so... I've come to a place where I'm able to say, yes, actually, I do know something about this. Like once I've, I've worked in this arena for five years, I might have something to say, I might have something to contribute to the conversation about poverty and homelessness in and Rala. And yes, I can speak with both practical and spiritual authority about my experiences. I can do that. Absolutely. So I've learned to depend on God as he helps me to develop my voice that I use on behalf of those who have no voice in our community. But I'm always aware, and probably because I've met so many people that struggle with the inability to filter themselves or to edit themselves, I'm really aware that there's a fine line. It's a really fine and very precarious line between confidence and arrogance. And that's why Paul warns us in Philippians 2 to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now, humility, simply, simply put, humility is the art of seeing yourself just exactly as you are. So, we have to be careful that, you know, just as a little side note, that, you know, false humility um, is just kind of a form of pride. It's not particularly spiritual to be down on yourself. So, humility is just seeing yourself just exactly as you are. So, you are amazing. I know you guys, I know most of you. I see some new faces in the crowd. I don't know you yet, but I will. You're amazing. Like you are a force to be reckoned with in this universe. You are smart and you are strong and you make a difference in this community and in your families and in all of the ways that you interact in the world. I know this. I've heard your stories. But you're also sometimes wrong, you also make mistakes. Sometimes you fall down and sometimes you miss it. And I am, I am, and you are made in the image of God. We are creatures in whom the Bible says the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells inside of us. That's who we are. But also at the same time, we are utterly human and completely fallible. And the Bible also describes us as jars of clay that hold that treasure that is his presence. So really, we could say it like this. We are already and not yet people that live in this already and not yet world. And that's okay because we can manage that. We can manage that tension. Now, Paul's not saying act like everybody else is always smarter than you and, like, always defer, okay? He says to value others, value. And I think that that little turn of phrase, I think that's an important nuance, right? Because what that says to me is even if I think, even if I'm 100% certain, Completely, 100%. No doubt in my mind that I'm right about a particular thing. It doesn't matter what it is. There's no doubt in my mind that there's no room for error on my part. I still have a choice. I have a choice there about how I'm going to posture myself. And because we choose to accept that we live in the already and the not yet We are able to choose to approach others with both truth and grace. It's not either or, it's both and. And this is really, this is what hard conversations require. Both truth and grace. If we don't have both these things, we are dead in the water. We need to be truth tellers. Again, like I've said, you know, in the beginning of this sermon series, I don't want you to get the idea that the message that we're trying to send is that the truth isn't important or that everybody's truth is the same or that, you know, you always have to defer to other people. It's important to be truth tellers about what we know to be right And about what is honestly happening inside of us. I think that unclear communication... I don't think. I know. I'm sure I'm right about this. I'm 100% right about this. Unclear communication causes just as much damage as harsh communication. If not more. When we're indirect. When we beat around the bush. When we expect people to know what we're thinking without saying it out loud. When we drop hints and social cues and all of those things. Unclear communication you know, it's not that great either. So we need to be truth tellers. Say what you mean. Be direct. Tell the truth. Please, especially with me, because I'm not so good with the nuances. (laughs) But we have to cultivate an awareness. What we have to be is aware of the way that we affect other people with the way that we tell the truth. My mom taught me that when I was small. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Who else's mom said that? Okay, all right. So, words are tools, they are not weapons. Words are tools, not weapons. There's a big difference between using a screwdriver to to fix something or build something or using it to stab somebody in the heart. And our words are exactly the same way. What is your goal? What is your goal when you're speaking to other people? Are you trying to destroy something? Are you trying to win? Are you trying to just crush them? And sometimes we are. Like, we have to be honest about that. Sometimes you're just looking to just mm, just smack that down. Just shut that down. But what should our goal be? I mean, I I think I'm right about this, too. I think our goal should be to build other people up. Finishing up with Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, that God may open a door for our message, why? So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And Paul's request in, in verse 4 is, is pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Here's the truth part proclaim it clearly as I should. But then his advice in verse 5 just represents more of the wonderful both and perspective and both and language that we find throughout Scripture. And he says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And how do you do that? How do you make the most of every opportunity? Let your conversation be always full of grace. Full of grace. Seasoned with salt. So that you may know how to answer everyone. For followers of Jesus, our goal is clear. Our purpose is to represent him well in everything that we do. That's our heart. That's our heart behind our follow Jesus everywhere. Is that in every situation, in every part of our lives, in every interaction, in every conversation, that we will represent him well. We will follow him. We will will obey him. We will image him in the way that he wants to be imaged. We want to spread the good news of his love to as many people as possible. The good news, the good news, the gospel should sound like good news. If it sounds like a lecture from your super mean fifth grade teacher, it doesn't sound like good news. It should sound like good news. The people in the scriptures experienced it that way. It was the best news that they'd ever heard. They could come close to God. That's good news. Are we telling the story? Are we sharing the gospel in a way that it actually sounds like good news? That's an important question. And to do that effectively and wisely, Paul says, wisdom, our conversation should always be full of grace. Passion and patience, confidence and humility, truth and grace. Because we accept that we live in the already and the not yet, we can manage these tensions with maturity. Now, Paul said in Second Corinthians, or no, in First Corinthians 13, that when he was a child, he reasoned like a child, and when he became a man, he put off kind of childish ways. And I really think that that either-or thinking represents sort of an immature way of interacting with and viewing the world. And as we become increasingly mature, we understand that there are things in life that are never going to be cut and dried in black and white in either or. There's always going to be a tension there to be managed. And maturity is learning to manage those tensions. And we are absolutely capable of doing this with the help of the Holy Spirit. So that's good. All right. I think Vince is going to close our service today. I just encourage you to look for ways, just practical ways, practical, like, don't keep this way up here at 10,000 feet. Like, when you go to lunch today, how are you talking to your family? How are you interacting with your server if you're going out for, for food? what kinds of posts are you going to comment on on Facebook and how are you going to comment on those posts i mean it seems like we always have to talk about that you know now is is how do we it's not just how do we act at work it's not just how do we act out in the grocery store it's facebook is a huge huge arena for an opportunity for us to image god how are we doing with that are we reflecting these tensions and managing them in a mature way. Don't let yourself off the hook for this because we are going to learn together how to have hard conversations in a way that honor Jesus.